You are now listening to an all-new episode of The Last Man Potting. I am your host, Amaya, back this week with my co-host, Steve. Steve, how the fuck are you doing this week? I'm doing terrible. My knees bother me, my back's bother me, I got a headache. So, next question. What, what are you, hungover? No, no, I don't drink anymore. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I, do I, I, didn't, I didn't think O'Doul's did that to you. So I wonder is there, what's going on. I do wonder, is there a threshold to where you could push two to get drunk off of O'Doul's? Like, it does say it's 0.5% alcohol. If I had 30 five percent Yeah, if I had 30 old dudes, I wonder if I could get drunk. You'd get fat. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Like, I, I like 90 calories a piece? Yeah, I no. had two six-packs yesterday. I haven't, I haven't uh, gained a pound, so uh, obviously I wouldn't get fat. Hey, man, it's just the crisp taste, man. It's just the, the crisp taste of old dudes. I don't want to get too into it. They're not giving me any money to promote it, so they don't need to get all into that. Yeah, f- fair, fair enough, but I'm just like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah, this kills some time while I'm on. I'll be getting into a lot more rabbit holes again, like a lot of the Tupac hoax videos. You ever get into those? Tupac ho- hoax? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's entertaining. Like what hoax? Like, like basically, like, Bull telling him to talk about, like, how he, like, a government agent or something, like, sent to the black community to poison everybody or some shit, like, and he faked his death and all that type of stuff. So, like, this shit nah. is entertaining to me. <laughs> nah. That no. shit. <laughs> I mean, because, like, I've heard all of the bars. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, Tupac's in Cuba. Tupac's this, yeah. Tupac's that. And I'm just like, no. Like, I like I, I think with, with stuff like that, it's like the, the simplest explanation is usually the truest one. It's like Tupac stomped somebody out, like, 20 minutes before he died. And that was probably retaliation for that and end of story. Well, I do wonder, like, what is it about those guys, right? Like a Tupac and a Biggie where you can still make money off of their name 30 years later. Like that, that's crazy to me. Like That's what I find the most entertaining about it. I mean, it's, well, it's like people are still still in Biggie's flow. Yeah, like it's it's crazy. It's been 25 years since he died, and like Pusha T still is mimicking Biggie, like (laughs) the best he can on every project. As his projects get increasingly worse, like album after album, but he's still holding on to that Biggie uh, impression. But with like the Tupac thing, I don't know, because I like Tupac, but I don't like idolize him like some of these dudes do. It's like, oh yeah, pop this, that. It's like, he got two and a half good albums. Like most people in hip hop. Now the songs on his two and a half good albums, like there, a lot of them are timeless. So they hang out, they hang around a little bit better than some other people's catalogs. But um, like, I don't have them in the top 10 or nothing. So like the fact that people are still super excited about, Tupac's music and his uh, conspiracy theories, it's like, shout out to him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that, that's the great part about it. Like, that's the entertaining aspect. It's like, this thing is still be able to, like, get eyes of, all eyes on him 30 years later. Like, it's crazy. Don't bring that movie up. That movie's not good. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I brought it up, because I was watching the Pribs draw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he movie's terrible. Yeah, he died. He said, yeah, it's the Suge Knight guy on the stage. I guess he's saying bad boys some mark-ass bitches or something. Like... <laughs> For somebody to do, like, a nuanced portrayal of Suge Knight, because it's like, it's not just that he was the Debo of the rap industry. He had He had, like, some business acumen, too, because he was figuring out 
how to get paid. I think he was like the first one to get one of those nine figure deals from the yeah. record companies and all of that type of stuff. So I feel like he like, you know, Suge definitely was running people over with his car towards the end of his uh, time as a free man. <laughs> but there's definitely some business shit that we can learn from what what Suge Knight was doing in hip hop back in the 90s. I, like, I wish that the next time they decide to put him on screen, it's like show a little bit of the business side of Suge because he wasn't just beating people up and forcing them to eat cake and shit. <laughs> well, I think the problem is, is like, you know, Suge Knight's not, not allowed to tell his own story. So, like, all the other guys, they're going to take credit for all the business. Like, you know, straight out of the cop, it's like, yeah, I do all the business. It's like, you can have that shit. I start over. Like, so. Is that is that what it is? Suge's not allowed to tell? I, he's in jail, lady. Like, is it going to be a Suge Knight story? Is he going to tell it from jail? I mean, a lot of people write books in jail. What else are you going to do in there? Like, yeah, well, we'll you know, you're going to do push-ups, write your books. Like, we'll, like we'll what else see you going to do? I, I seriously doubt this Suge Knight uh, story is going to get greenlit. I could be wrong. But, the, yeah, like... I'm not saying we need a whole, like, Suge Knight universe or nothing. I'm just saying it's like... Like the next time y'all decide to do a, like like call the dude, I don't know what his name is, the dude that plays Biggie in every movie. Next yeah. time you call him and the guy that looks like Tupac and you want to throw a little Suge Knight in there, it's like throw a little bit more to the business side. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, you know, because like uh, yeah, a- according according to uh, Mike, it's um, yeah, Ray J has the rights to the Suge Knight. Life oh, story. see, see, I was right. <laughs> I just well, been guessing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, actually, that that would be that would actually be entertaining if Ray J figures out a way to produce that because because yeah. you know like Ray, Ray J got a little hood streak in him. Remember he was threatening to get the uh the the booty goons on Fabulous. That's wild. But you know what was the the craziest uh, portrayal of Suge Knight when he was in the Michelle story? Like Michelle actually wrote the story about like how she slept with Dr. Dre and uh, Suge Knight. I was like, wow. You just go put this. Wait, you, you're talking about the Michelet story from like Lifetime? Yeah, yeah. When uh, Doctor Dre just whooping her ass the whole movie. You watched like, it? Yeah, somebody gave me the bootleg copy of it, so I was like, "All right, since I have the bootleg copy of it, I'll watch it." And like, she actually portrayed herself sleeping with Doctor Dre and Shaq. I was like, "Wow, you just go put all your scandalous business out there." Well, at the same time. Yeah, like she like she was rocking with Dre, and then like. Dre kind of fell off after the chronic or whatever. I guess he got dropped. Like, you know what I'm saying? Before Dre had went to do his own thing. Like, after the death row shit. And then she started fucking yeah. with Shug. Like, in that in-between phase when Dr. Dre was trying to figure out his life or whatever. So, I was like, wow, she just... I was like, this is just a... <laughs> but that was the crazy part, because, like, Dr. Dre was over her ass, and then she went to Shug Knight, and he started over her ass. So, I was like, wow, you just go put, like, your ass get beat by everybody this whole movie. Like... I mean, if that's the truth, that's the truth. It's like it's supposed to be a biopic. Like you're right. not supposed to make shit up. If that's what happened, that's what happened. Everybody makes shit up in everything, which we'll get to later in this book that we're gonna fucking break down. Everything. Anytime you see a biopic, a book, or whatever, it's always that Dave Chappelle sketch. You remember that shit? He's like, "Yeah, I met the president." It's like I have the biggest dick in the world. Like that's every biopic. Like Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like, that's, that's, like, yeah, I was, I was at every pivotal event in, in the in the 20th century. Yeah, but no one knows um, who I am. So, like, like what what bio what hip hop biopic do you, are you waiting for? Um, uh, did we get a Master P story? 
Like, I think that would probably be the most interesting. Yeah, like, he was claiming he was going to make it yeah. or that he made it. And then the last thing I heard about Master P was that um, Lil Romeo was suing him for child support <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how old Lil Romeo is, but like I saw, like maybe Mike could pull this up. Like I saw a headline a little while ago. Lil Romeo was looking for some money in the courts, beefing over rap snacks. Oh, uh, okay. My, my right. father, like, he said, <laughs> he said my father's trying to break me. Um, he said he accused his father of withholding earnings from Rap Snacks, in which he was a limited partner for a full decade. Yeah. So yeah, he 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 wants that Rap Snacks money. But because I don't even know, like, because he was like a kid when that shit dropped. So I don't know how that shit worked though. It's like, did you just be happy that your pop gave you any commission off that shit at all, or like, what was the? I gotta see the paperwork though. Like, does he have a case? Well, it's kind of like, like you know how uh, Khaled, when he dropped his album a couple years ago, he made his yeah. son like the, the executive, executive producer. producer. Yeah, it's like, like you're supposed. It's supposed to be like some legacy building stuff, but I guess Romeo didn't like his portion of the legacy, yeah. so he's he's coming back for it. You know, is but would Khaled's son be allowed to sue like twenty years later, like off of the proceeds or whatever? It's like, no, the contract. It's like you promised me ten percent. Brought me 10 points. Like, I didn't get my 10 points. Like, it's wild. I mean, like, suing your family members is, is just wild in general. Yeah. Like, if y'all can't work that out. And I feel like you just kind of got to take that L. It's like, if your dad kept the rap snacks money, you got you to gotta just eat that and keep it moving. Because I remember when they had a Cribs episode, they had houses next door to each other. So yeah. I feel like Romeo had a good childhood, unless that was all for the camera. We definitely need an Avon drop. Like, that's not how the game is played. Like, this might be the ultimate. <laughs> this might be the ultimate. That's not how the game is played. You, you suing your dad for, for your cut of the trust fund? <laughs> yeah, because at a certain point, you probably do have to go out there and work. But um, I've also, we also haven't done any research. Like, no, I don't know. Like, little Romeo might be 100% right. But I kind of felt like it was. It was like similar to when Lil Wayne and Baby were going through that whole thing. And it's like you we don't know from the outside who actually owes who money because that's right. family. And like you know, family family, family could get a little bit messy, like when business is involved. But that's not even real family. This is actually real blood family. Like like Burma is just some random nigga who saved them kids out of the hood. Like like this is actually the nigga I mean, dad. They, shit. Like I, I've never called a, a, a one of my old heads daddy. Right. So, <laughs> so it's like that better be his family or what else is going on over there. Well, no, that's that's not his legal dad though. So yeah, that's a different type of party. Hey, that's not my business. I don't party like that. They're there fucking up all the chicken. Yeah, well, shit. Well, that's what that's what Romeo is trying to tell his dad. You, you gotta stop fucking partying. Hey. Like you over there trying to mentor Kodak Black. He like, what about me? <laughs> what you know, about was, my deeds? I was watching a clip the other day. Kodak had his shirt on. He's like, yo, one of the comments was, you have a plan to put on muscle or lose fat? Wait, he's just like he's well, he's like a tweener. He's in between. You know, 
Well, yeah, you remember that clip on Instagram a couple years ago? He's just like talking with his shirt off and shit. Like, it's like one. Of the, I just thought that was funny when the comments said, "Yo, you have a plan to put on muscle or lose fat?" Yeah, you gotta choose one. Well, like all them rappers are built like that, and they always take their shirt off. Like you say the same thing about Future. He's just built like a gummy worm. Well, yeah, it's like, like I feel like you shouldn't take your shirt off unless there's something to look at underneath the shirt. Like, there's got to be some muscle there. There's like, you, you got to be doing something. But, you know, ever since Rick Ross, you know, was walking around 300 plus pounds calling himself a sex symbol, I guess nobody cares anymore. Yeah, what do you think about and, that? And a lot of these niggas, like, they be having like the lean gut and everything. It's yeah. like, you got to cover that shit up. Like, you know, don't, don't, don't be taking your shirt off. Because Rick Ross yeah. built a. Built a brand off of that though, so like it, that probably wasn't a bad business move for him. Just be the fat nigga with your shirt off. Yeah, Rick Ross doesn't make bad business moves. <laughs> <laughs> he like, oh shit, they they foreclosed on Holyfield. Let me get that. Let yeah, me. that's wild. But like, the, like Fifty was talking about that, and it's like them houses cost so much just to maintain. Like, I don't even know if that's a good business move, honestly. Yeah, he he rents that shit out for movies. Yeah. Well, I guess like, you movie. remember it was in the um oh, yeah, it was the, in um, that that Superfly movie. How many how many movies you gonna make though? Oh, uh, coming to America too. It was oh, in okay. it was in Coming America too. Well, also, hey, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. Hey, look, yeah, I'm, like <laughs> yeah, like but you you know this is something you like to do. It's like like yeah. like when somebody has some business going that you don't understand. You're like I don't even know why that nigga would do that shit. Like he's overextended himself. Like yeah. the overhead is nuts. You, you, you know, Mike, don't you keep quiet over here? Stop correcting me. I was on a street team. <laughs> Coming to America, too. So, yeah, so, yeah, like Rick Ross knows what he's doing. Like, he yeah. got a wing stop on every corner, Steve. He told you. Oh, those aren't good wings. I'm going to be honest with you. I like you, Rick Ross, but you got to fucking get better. I had better wings at the Poppy store, goddamn. Well, yeah, because th- those wings taste like those chickens had a bad life. Yeah. Like you know, they they just taste like they've been pumped up with a lot of things, and yeah. it's not things that chickens should be eating. Like I, I've had Wingstop a couple times, not a fan. And beyond that, you got to let them know too. It's like fried hard, dickhead. Like you, like you're not frying my wings all the way right. Like like the poppy store, he know to fry them shits hard. Like you go to Wingstop, they're not fried hard enough. Yeah, because th- th- that's mass production wings. <laughs> like they they don't care yeah. about getting your shit crispy so you enjoy yeah. it. Like they care about getting your twenty dollars and getting you out of the door. Like yeah, the, the pop you're gonna get home and be disappointed. And but the problem is, it's like their food is just good enough that you probably would forget that it's not quality. Right, and go and get that shit again. Like that's their business model. It's like that, that's really like the type of food that you get at like three in the morning after like you drunk. You trying to get shorty back to the crib and like you know you got that drunk hunger like that in between phase of being drunk and hungover you just need something to settle your stomach that's really what wingstop is that should be their commercial really i don't think they need to advertise that like they put like they put them shits on college campuses and yeah shit. Like, they know who their customers are <laughs> right like right. grown adults ain't supposed to be stopping at wingstop for anything <laughs> that shit is food for children like yeah, that's, yeah that's we're having a good boring. time at two in the morning, like, oh, should I get shorty back to the crib? My gut hurt. Let me go get some wing stop right yeah. quick. That's, that's all that shit. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're not. They're not trying to make anything for a wing cut. Oh, I, I need mine <laughs> fried hard. <laughs> like yeah. with the sauce. Like, yeah. like no, you gonna take this shit and be happy. Fried hard, dickhead. But 
But uh, let's let's get into the topics. Um, so this week, you know, we're, we're continuing the book club. We're keeping the book club going. Um, this week we got Hustle Harder, Hustle... Wait, let me make sure I'm reading it right. I, I don't <laughs> want to get this pivotal title backwards. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter, 50 Cent. Um, the, uh, the book where he's explaining his uh, philosophies and principles about how to make it in business. This is another choice from Steve on the book club. Um, so I'm gonna let Steve elaborate on this one a little bit more. Like, why did you want to first uh, talk about this one on the show? Well, it was just the the entertainment aspect of it. I don't care about his principles of business, his seven principles, whatever the fuck he thinks is like how to live a, 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 a purpose-driven life. That's what all these guys talk about. It's the purpose-driven life. It's but it was just one of those things where, like, the clips just kept coming up. Like, for whatever reason, the YouTube algorithm was like, you're going to listen to this book. Like, they just hit me with, like, clip after clip after clip. And I was like, all right. The clips were just entertaining. Like, it was like the mythology of 50 Cent almost grew to me because, it's like, everybody has a 50 Cent story. It's like, oh, man, you know, he pulled up, you know, Shug like pulled up. He was like, you know, what's up, Shug? Like, you know, it's like. Even in the book, he talks about how he got shot nine times in the very next week. He's like jogging on his block again, trying to get his exercise just because he didn't want to be fearful of uh, like, you know, the guys that shot him or whatever. But uh, most interesting business part of it was uh, he explained that uh, one of his business partners, Shaw Money XL, when they first started doing the mixtape grind, he said that Shaw Money XL wanted to get 50000 for the work that they did in the uh, basement. Um, and he's like, yeah, I didn't think I had to uh, pay you for the work that we already did. And he's like hard set on it. He's like, all right, what I'll do is I'll give you 30000 I'll give you a point off of the album. And, and Shabani said, no, I need my 50000 And uh, that point off the album wound up being $1.3 So, you know, it's like those are a little bit of the gems that he kind of gives you from a business standpoint. Uh, he also tells a similar story about Gilly the Kid where uh, – you know, he wanted to, he said, Cosmic Kev, the Philly radio station guy said, uh, you know, Gilly had a hot new single and he decided to walk Gilly into Interscope. So what he did was uh, he said uh, they offered Gilliam some deal, but Gilly was stuck off of the million. And, you know, 50 thought that that was kind of like a short sided thing. He was thinking like, you know, if I get behind the Gilly the Kid project, it's going to blow. Um, so, you know, from a business standpoint, it, there are a oh, couple of jewels. <laughs> I don't know. Gilly, you know, Gilly's got his popular podcast or whatever. And Gilly allegedly wrote, wrote for Wayne. So who knows what, what Gilly could have done as a rapper. Yeah, I, I don't want to I, I don't want to relitigate the allegedly right. wrote for Wayne shit, but we've heard <laughs> Gilly the kid on the mic. Like I've heard I've heard major figures or whatever their group was called. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. So, that, that wasn't gonna pop. Yeah, but I think the main thing is with books like this, it's like you hear 50 said at the beginning of the book say he's jealous of some guy playing handball because he's free and it's like well my nigga like why are you hustling so hard if you like don't like your life like that you know but it's just kind of like listen to guys like this talk about you know how to hustle so hard but it's like he talks about I, I do like the fact that he is transparent about like his interpersonal relationships but at the same time it's like how you going to be a self-help guy with like those interpersonal relationships with your family and stuff like that for some for most people that's more important than having the millions and millions so you know i, I think you know the self-help is one of those things where like people is interesting where how people prioritize what they prioritize and how they prioritize it so that's the biggest takeaway for about 
from my standpoint with this book? Yeah, so for me, um, you know, I like 50 Cent as a personality, his music or whatever. I definitely was on the 50 Cent music train a lot longer than than most people. You know, I I still think Before I Self-Destruct has some shit on it. And he was dropping some mixtapes around that time that got some shit on it, too. Like, um, but when it comes to, like, this book, I turned it on and I couldn't get past the intro because the intro was just full of cliches of, you know, evolve or die, hustle harder, um, n- never be entitled. And then the book was going to be eight hours long. And I said, no, thanks. Uh, <laughs> so like th- that was like the biggest turnoff for me. Like I did think some of those uh, clips that you sent me, you know, and we can get into that in a minute, you know, some of the clips like where he's telling stories about who kid and some of the other people that he's done business with, you know, the way he describes the situations are just funny. But um, like you said, with this whole self-help book genre, I think, you know, they all say the same thing. It's like if you're a person that is into self-help books, you're really just looking for the person that says it in a way that jives with you. But none of them say anything different because they're saying something that's obvious. It's like you have to work hard. You have to be intentional about what you do. Connections are a big part of being successful. And, you know, maybe a little bit more anecdotal stuff here and there but for the most part that's what all of these books say so when you're you know going into it it's like with 50 cent he's gonna be the guru in this case and he even opens the book saying i feel awkward being a person um offering advice on life because i might have gotten a lot of money but i don't have my personal life figured out and And, you know, you can say that about anybody. It's like, you know, there's certain people in my life, like I might take advice on you about, you know, how to cook a piece of fish, but I'm not going to ask you how to do anything when it comes to money. So (laughs) like, I do get that and it can be compartmentalized, but when it comes to like these books where people are telling their overall philosophy it's like nigga i got my own philosophy i don't really care about yours that much but you know shout out to 50 but even when you talk about the philosophy you could tell there there's certain things that are uh agenda driven when it comes to that like you know he's promoting bill gates as a philanthropist you know whether like whatever people want to believe right or left it's like at the end of the day you kind of tell that's forced there it's like 50 really bill gates and he even tells a story about like fake it till you make it. And he's talking about Bernie Madoff running a Ponzi scheme. And it's like, really? <laughs> Are you giving people advice on how to use a Ponzi scheme? But beyond that, like, this is funny too, because certain people, they just, they talk about science to kind of back some of their bullshit theories. Like he had a theory about putting your, uh, touching someone's uh, forearm and it releases endorphins and it's backed by science. It's like, come on, nigga, like, is that really backed by science? Did they hook up an endorphin machine to a nigga when you was touching their fucking forearm, dude? Like, just stop the bullshit. Like, as the young folks would say, stop the cat, bro. Well, you know, like, the thing with stuff like this, too, is <clears throat> you have to throw something in there to give it, like, your own little, tw- your own little twist. <laughs> but I think the, the problem with these books is a lot of times they're targeted at uneducated people. So you're able to use terms like, this is backed by science, or you're able to take like very 
like myopic specific examples and say like, look, this shit is going to apply to everybody because it worked for me. And people are, you know, propping you up because they think that you've hacked into the algorithm or whatever. And it's like, no, there's general business practices that this person is following. Like, yes, there's some rules of communication, but there's a lot of variables at play. Like, you know, just saying, oh, I touch you and it's backed by science. Now you have to do what I want. Like, Like, you're only going to get that off if you're talking to uneducated people. Like when you're talking to people that have a little bit of awareness about, you know, just basic scientific principles and life, you're not going to be able to get half of the shit off that you get off in books like this. That's why I told Steve, I'm like, you know, I'm going to let you take the take the lead on this one. I I tapped out after the intro because I said, you know, I don't need another eight hours of him saying like you know, little silly stuff like that. Cause he opened it up. Like I said, hustle hard, do this, do that. And I'm like, nah, nah bro. Like, like I said, of course you hustle hard, but to I, what end? <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be more clips. Like, uh, what I, this one, I sent you about Wookie get his ass to him stealing uh big puns, demo or whatever the fuck it was. I thought it'd be more like that. I thought it'd be some more like, like some type of power shit or whatever, like, like the TV show, but 50 cent and I can get some laughs in, but you know, the funniest part about you talking about it is like you said they talked about Floyd's reading skills, but he's over here struggling to get sentences through. Like that was the funniest shit you said about it. So hi, I'm well, yeah, well, yeah, you know that, that that's the thing about Fifty Cent. It's like he likes to publicly embarrass people. Yeah. Um, and he uses parts of this book to publicly embarrass people, like you know, with some of the stories that he tells. But some of the people that he's had problems with publicly, like Floyd, you know, making fun of his reading ability. And then you listen to this audiobook, and it sounds like he's struggling to read some of these sentences. So I, I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, well, sir, like, are you are you being um, true with yourself? Like, when you're making fun of Floyd, like, could you get through that little sentence that Floyd was trying to get through? Like, any better? That's the interesting thing, too, I found about, like, guys like him and Jay-Z and a couple other upper echelon rappers where they speak on, he, there was a specific part where he spoke on um, comparing getting his movie into theaters to Eminem getting his movie into theaters. He said, this is why I didn't want to make Power a Black show because I made my movie a Black movie. And, uh, you know, it was the same as Eminem's movie where Eminem got into, uh, you know, 34,000 theaters or something like that. And, you know, he only got into 17,000 theaters. And I think that he missed the mark of like, dude, you didn't just make a movie. You, you like, whether it was about your life or not, you made a movie about drug dealing, but he tried to make it like a race thing where it's like, he's like, yeah, these white kids, you know, they're, they're white parents. They'll let them listen to, uh, you know, my lyrics about selling crack, but they don't want them, you know, watching, uh, me sell crack or whatever and it's like yeah like there's a big difference between that, doesn't that make visual. any sense <laughs> but beyond that though there's a big difference between that visual as opposed to listening to it but i think he missed the mark that it's like yo this movie is a drug dealing movie it's not i don't think it's just the black thing you know what i mean and it's also like if you want to compare eight mile and get rich or die trying Eight Mile is a better executed movie. Like, <laughs> 50 Cent can't act. Like, he still can't act. Like, he's like 20, 30 movies in at this point, you know, acting next to De Niro and Pacino and he's all these better things. Like, than he, he was. doesn't have the skill to act. 
he's better than he was because the thing is now he pretty much just shows up and he's the character of 50 cent like i don't know what the fuck he was doing in that get rich or die triangle movie well it's it's almost like it's almost like you take somebody like quavo like yeah. when he first starts rapping it's Versace, yubbers, yubbers. he's yelling. And then now that he's like 10 years into it, he can put together a 16. It's, I'm not saying it's a lyrical miracle, but it all rhymes and it flows well. That's all. It's like, yeah, if you act in movies for a decade, you're going to be able to be somewhat good. But like I watched Den of Thieves not too long ago. 50 Cent's horrible. Like <laughs> he barely registers emotion on his face like when right. he's doing stuff. So but like to put a button on that issue, it's like, you know, for 50 Cent, if you want to say the content that you're putting out, um you you didn't make power a black show, I don't really agree with that because you know the theme song is hip hop. All of the primary cast members are black, except for well, um, the Tommy guy. And that was his point, and, like because he he uh, specifically put out the promotional uh, banner with like Ghost and, and Tommy, and that's the reason why he wanted to highlight Tommy. So he couldn't said he couldn't say, "Oh, it's Power's a black show." But like, uh, go ahead, because I'm I'm agreeing with everything you're gonna say. Go ahead. What? But but then like this is this is my problem like when people start getting into like black show white show and talking right. about race because it's all fucking stupid because people <laughs> watch whatever they want to watch like if the show is good enough people will watch it like the wire has yeah. lived on for twenty years since it came out because it's really high quality and you know who the people who stand for it the most are white people white people <laughs> like but you know who's the like the majority of the cast members on the show are quote unquote black people. So except it's for season about two, quality. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, except for season two, all of the main cast members on the wire are so-called black people. So it's like, no 50 cent. Power <laughs> is not a good show. We know it's not a good show. It's poorly written, it's poorly executed, like and it dragged on for forever. I tapped out of that show in the second season because it's poorly written. Like it's not because of the racial mix of who's on the screen because i don't give a fuck like because i prefer when the show's not about race at all and we could just watch the entertainment value because i don't turn on tv to watch like the race issue of the week so no 50 cent like don't make excuses for your show not being that good it's just not that good because it's fast food that's yeah. why the power universe has you know the power of the main show then you have the 80s version of power. Then you have yeah, the, freak, the sequel <laughs> version of power. And then what's BMF? It's the same thing as the 80s version of power, but it's just <laughs> set in Detroit. So it's like, no, your issue is you don't make quality. It's yeah. not It's not the race of the people on the screen. And because I, I remember he used to get upset about, oh, we're not getting nominated for Emmys. We're not getting nominated for that. It's like, well... Yeah, it's not. Of course, it's not going to get nominated for Emmy. It's not good. Right. Like, but, sorry, not sorry. It's just not good. I, but that is the irony of a man who makes low vibrational content. He's going to help you in life. That's all I said. It's like the self-help aspect of it, marketing it as a self-help book. To me, I find it hilarious. It's like... Everything you do is about scamming and 
drug dealing and shooting and killing, but it's like here go a self help book to teach you some business game. <laughs> like, no, like he tells you, he tells you in the beginning of the book, it's like I don't know why I'm doing this. Oh yeah, I'm doing this because they keep throwing M's at me to do yeah. this, and it's like that's what the book is. It's like this is another lick for Fifty Cent, and you know what our motto is on this podcast: we salute everybody hustle. I'm just not your customer because, <laughs> because it's like, like you said, it, it, it's like when we talked about Joey Badass last year, you go on BET and you say, we have to stop glorifying violence in our music, but you pay a drug dealer in the 50 cent universe. <laughs> and it's like 50 cent, your entire universe is focused on drug dealing. It's like, no, sir. That, like, stay in your lane. You're not in the self-help lane. You're in the fuck everybody else, let me get some money lane. Because And all of the stories that 50 Cent tells, like, that show, that's what his character is to the core. Fuck everybody else. Like, fuck my son. Fuck my mother. Like, fuck my family. Fuck the niggas that I came into the game with. Like, <laughs> I'm just here to get some more bread. And that's fine. That's who you are. It's it's entertaining to watch. But he, when you try to tell me, like, oh, yeah, adopt these principles and maybe they'll help you in life. Like, I have to start thinking about, do I value money that much? Because I like getting money. But at the same time, like, I don't value money so much that everything that I do is about fuck everybody and let's get all of the money and whether or not I'm going to enjoy it or not. And like, that's who 50 Cent is. So it's like, self-help book? No. Entertainment book? Yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah. Well, I, I was relatively like, Let me tell you about the last time I chumped who kid. Yeah. Like, like, I, I was, yeah, I'll, I'll I was, listen to that. I was relatively entertained. I give, I give it a three and a half in uh, uh, entertainment value. But I think, you know, pivoting to like, because remember I had texted you guys it's like, what is it about the 50 Cent and the Jay-Z's that makes them businessmen as opposed to, like, the Dusty Hood, like a, like a guy like Future? Or, like, even Lil Wayne to a degree. Like, Lil Wayne isn't looked at as, like, a businessman. Like, I always wonder that. It's like, how do, like, is there something special about these guys? Are they, like, chosen? Or, like, what is it about these guys? Is it just the hustle harder, hustle smarter for they're able to pivot into looked at as legitimate businessmen instead of dusty hood niggas. Well, it's the image. Because you, yeah. you bring up Lil Wayne there, and Drake at one point said that Lil Wayne told him don't get any face tattoos. Because at one point in time, Lil Wayne said he pulled into an airport, he landed at the airport, and he saw Drake's face on the side of like an Air Canada plane. And yeah. then... He said, they'll never put my scary ass face on the side That's of the That's a scary a, ass face on the airplane. Like, Lil Wayne has his has his eyelids tattooed. Like yeah. it's too much. Where Jay-Z, you know, Jay-Z doesn't he doesn't drink in his videos, he don't smoke in his videos. And if he does, what is it? It's champagne. He's wine. It's the yeah, good cigar. life. It's it, it's it's like, you know, we're the rock boys. Like everybody's wearing suits, and it's it's a little bit more classy. Where same thing with 50 Cent, he came out, was marketing himself immediately as something separate from the music. Like I'm a sneaker guy, I'm a I'm a vitamin water guy, I'm all of these other things, guys. Where future, his his marketing was dirty spray. 
Like, <laughs> where, you know, like those other guys, like they, they, their product was, no, nah, like I'm here, like Jay-Z's, I love the dough. I get the money. I do all of this stuff. Right. So it's, e- it's easier to, you, you know, you're an imaginary player. Like it's easier to do that where future comes out. It's like, yeah, but my Sprite is dirty and I'm getting more money than, than Cam Newton and is Oprah. It, yeah, is it too aggressive? It's like, all right, all right bro. Yeah, that just sounds no like a, a high nigga rambling. Right. It's just, it's, it's the lack of nuance there. It's just like the fuck you. Where is it like, you know, a little bit more finesse on the other side of the game. Yeah. It's like, like you have to, you have to present yourself as something separate where yeah. and the and it's something simple as the name too like jay-z we all know sean carter 50 cent we all know curtis jackson yeah. the fuck is future's name is it what's devious, future's real name you can't even put that show into a resume the devious or some shit like that you can't put that shit <laughs> the devious hell no rip rip but it's like even that it's like when we hear about futures like legal name it's usually about something related to child support like right it's never it's like like the image has to be curated from top to bottom and 50 cent is really good at that i remember one time <laughs> wait not cash cash <laughs> you made that shit that brother's name is not no damn cash <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if Future's last name is Cash, I might move him up on my on my top twenty list. <laughs> oh, he's definitely the top ten now. Cash, that can't be like he must have just redeemed himself. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Future oh, has changed his last name to Cash, according to um, Revolt. Okay, so that's like how uh, he Ch- he's added to his estimated forty million dollar net worth. So uh, I don't know. Is, is Cam Newton getting forty million? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure our producer will have that. Sh- did, did that young boy at the at the summer league tell him he was broke? Yeah, you broke, but <laughs> rich. He's like, he's like, but you're not getting as much money as future. That's just a wild thing to be arguing with a twelve year old boy. Like, just throw his ass out of there. But um, but yeah, I I think that's what it ultimately comes down to is somebody like Fifty Cent or Jay Z. They've made it their business in their career to curate their image around being a businessman and even and even um 50 cent you know with his antics and stuff he knows how to like he said it in a breakfast club interview one time he said i always keep the rapper title in my back pocket so just in case i say something that's too wild i can say well i'm just a rapper yeah where you know so that still allows him to go into these buildings and negotiate using his rapper name. It's like, I'm Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. So if we say, here's another show brought to you by 50 Cent, it's like, all right, yeah. Like, let's see who's drugging, who's dealing drugs now. Yeah. But so he's always going to be able to eat off of that name, even though in hip hop, like if you see 50 Cent's name next to an MP3 file, you're probably not clicking that anymore. But he's he's found a way that when you see it on a TV screen, he's getting millions of people to click it on a TV screen now. So right. you got you got to res- you got to respect that. And that's why, like, I bought the future comparison up because we can look and say those guys put words together better than the other guy. But the content is really still the same. It's drug dealing, getting high. It's all the same shit. 
Because 50 Cent was pretending to get high on his early tracks. Yeah, like, I get high all the time. Like, high all the time. Like, and we're like, nigga, you know, you don't do yeah. none of that stuff. That what I was like, like, I saw a clip with Fat Joe. He's like, he's like, yeah, he's a pussy. He's never in the club. He said, this guy's in the club. I've never seen him in the club. <laughs> he got a song called In the Club. You're never in the club. Like, so like, you, like you see 50 Cent on on his first album cover, like 10% body fat. Like yeah. that, you don't get that in the club. Niggas built like Shannon Sharp talking about him high all the time. Like, yeah, that's, that's like with Shannon Sharp. So or the yeah, I got my yak and my hen dog. It's like, nigga, you yeah. don't do that. Hell no, you don't do like, that. You can't look like that at 40. That, nigga, that man is 50 years old. Like, you can't, hell no. Yeah, t- like, like, t- like, tell everybody the truth. I got my creatine and I got, like, I got my water. Yeah, tell the truth. We need a Will Smith drop. Tell the truth. Tell, tell the truth. When these things do an accent, that shit come and go like a ball. <laughs> so let's put a button on this. Uh, yeah. hustle harder, hustle smarter. What, what is the the biggest thing that you learned? Like, because he wanted you in the intro. He said. He wants you to take at least one thing away and apply it to your life. So what are you applying to your life from this book? I mean, like, nothing really applies. Like you said, everything really pretty much basic. I think, like, the best point that he made was if you're doing business, um, you know, when to actually ask for a quote-unquote salary or to ask for a percentage of the company. And, you know, if you're dealing with a startup, you know, look into the valuation, how they evaluate their stock, how they evaluate equity and different things like that. So I thought that was the biggest point, the biggest uh takeaway like okay that's actually a, a good business tactic you know when you're asking for equity understand how they evaluate their stock understand the valuations of their company and understand you know the points that you're getting from out of that business deal so that was like the biggest takeaway and the best game that he gave but you know rest of that shit you can pretty much keep in the comment section you well I, I do think it's important to like dwell on that equity thing for a second yeah. because a lot of people will take cash instead of equity right. and like that first story that that you told where you know people can be can be short-sighted sometimes um but i think 50 did make a good point in the beginning of the book where he said most people aren't willing to pick up a book so he he was doing this for that audience Right. Because the people that he's talking to, they probably have never heard of equity or <laughs> <laughs> or you know negotiating equity. Because it's like if you if you went to business school or if you've ever negotiated an equity position in a business or whatever, you're not really going to need anything in this book. Like you might find some of it entertaining. It's like oh yeah, fifty negotiated his deal that way, but like he's not reinventing the wheel here. But I think just introducing like the concept of equity to like a different audience of people that don't want to read. I think that's really good because there there's probably an up and coming producer that's working with a rapper or somebody right now, or somebody like that's working on a podcast just like us where, you know, they might get offered a deal that involves some equity as opposed to cash and if they don't hear 50 Cent tell that story about this dumb guy that yeah. gave up on the equity position and get rich or die trying, they might just say, like, no, I, I need my couple dollars. Because, um, you know, th- th- that was something that happened, I think, with the guy that was producing um, a million dollars worth of game. Like their first 
I think 30, 40 episodes, they had this guy as a producer. And then when they did their deal with Barstool, he lost his position because he wanted to miss, he was misnegotiating his value on the podcast. So I think, you know, when you hear some of these horror stories that of these guys that like make these, these uh, bad decisions, it, it can be really helpful in that way. Um, you know, like Drake said that on the on the Broke Boy song. He's like, you know, I like some of these guys are dumb as fuck. He's like, they buy a house instead of buying a verse. And he's like, like, no, like you should buy a verse. Like, I'm the most popular guy in music. Like, put your like if you want to do music, put your name next to my name. That probably will work out for you a little bit better than buying a house. That, you know, after you buy the house, you're not gonna have any money to pay the taxes on the house because now you don't have any fucking income. So, like, what are you buying the house for? <laughs> Like maybe buy maybe buying the Drake verse makes makes a little bit more sense, but um, a lot of niggas, you know, you you, you, you have to be exposed. What'd you say? No, I was just gonna say a lot of niggas got that Drake verse fell off right after. What happened to the Tuesday nigga? Freddie Wap was gone, but continue. Well, I think that's the reverse because Drake was stealing their song. <laughs> like like Drake stole the Tuesday shit. Like, but you see Migos. They was like Drake, yeah, hop on Versace, hop yeah. on our shit. Migos is still around, you know. <laughs> R.I.P. Takeoff, but like you know, right. Migos is still around. But like the other dudes, like Drake said, let me borrow your sound and t- like matter of fact, you don't know what you're doing with that shit. Give it to me. Yeah, and, the only nigga know, that survived, only nigga that survived the Drake gauntlet was the weekend. Like for whatever reason, he he let Drake borrow that shit and it came up with some new shit. Shout out to the weekend. That's because he gave Drake his Lucy's. Like he gave Drake his his Lucy's, and Drake made his best album with the Weekends Lucy's. Where you know, like somebody like Party has been able to kind of do the same thing. It's like, all right, yeah, let me give Drake my my Lucy's or give Drake the shit that you know people don't want to hear from me. But the Weekend knew it's like, nah, I kind of got the sauce. But like the Tuesday nigga, he didn't have much going on. Like same with like Block Boy JB, you wasn't gonna yeah. be able to do nothing with that. Like Diddy with the zero to 100 beat, you're better off giving that away. Like I'd rather take the equity and Drake having the zero to 100 beat than me having it. Because what the fuck am I going to do with the beat? So that's the the better point than saying I take the Drake verse than the house. Like maybe the equity. Yeah, yeah, all right, all right. (laughs) Partnering with the Drake on some shit where like, okay, young boy, you hot. Let me get the shit and you get a piece. But- yeah, you know, put a ball because with a, Like said. a better example is probably yeah. the work song. Like right. Party wrote that song. It's nothing if he has it. Like right. if he has it, it's a Lucy. You give it to Drake and Rihanna, you can buy a beach house now. <laughs> so 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 I, I think like that's what like those are the type of conversations that these books are useful for. But I learned a lot of that shit like in my 20s. Like I went to business school, so I I learned a lot of that in business school. But I learned a lot of these stories listening to Breakfast Club back when the Breakfast Club was good. Because that's when a lot of these stories were being told for the first time. Like, you know, Fat Joe talking about how he lost millions of dollars on private planes and just foolish business deals he did like that. Or like somebody like Ja Rule saying that, the reason why he was able to remain financially stable after going to jail was that he bought all of his stuff cash. Like when he bought his cars and his houses and all that, he didn't, he didn't um, take on a lot of debt 
to acquire those things. So after he did his jail time, he owned all of his shit. So he was able to come back out here, go perform living it up during halftime at a Bucks game and be all right, even though hip hop was over for him. So like, and then, you know, you could still get your fire fest off and scam niggas or whatever you're trying to do there. So I, I think like stuff like that is good. And, you know, you get these, these um, platforms like the drink champs and the breakfast club where these guys can tell their story. I just think it's a little comical sometimes like when they try to present it to you as a book. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's like it's like all right, fifty cent. Like, let, let me sit down and let you teach me business. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just hear from Chuckman. So yeah, that's that's hustle harder, hustle smarter, and um, you know we're gonna be back next week. We're, we're we're gonna I'm gonna take over the book club next week. We're gonna we're gonna come back with a different book next week. We're gonna we're gonna switch it up for y'all. So um, that whole fifty cent conversation had me thinking about uh, this movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross which uh, I had Steve watch this week because if you've never seen it, it's like this Al Pacino movie from the nineties where these guys are working at a real estate office and like, you know, these dead end cold calling jobs, trying to sell people um, timeshares on these properties or, you know, something along those lines, like some shit that doesn't exist in 20 in 2023. <laughs> but um, Yo, these I found are it interesting because yeah, like I found it interesting because you see these guys in this movie, they're working this these dead end fucking jobs. They have they have this supervisor coming in in the beginning of the movie telling them that they are losers, that they're working dead end jobs, that they're never gonna be successful, and that's why they don't get any money and like they're driving hoopties and shit. You you watch this movie and I say, these are the guys that 50 Cent is writing this book for. Like, like, you know, the guys that are sitting at the job and they're like, yeah, I can hustle harder. I can hustle smarter. And I will uh, adopt some of Fafti's, um principles and, you know, get get my success. So I, I thought this was like a good companion to that book. But like, what did you think of the movie, Steve? I mean, overall, as a movie, it was very slow. Like, it didn't really get entertaining until like probably around the third act. Um, but I think, you know, as a movie, it was pretty decent. I mean, you know, anytime you have Al Pacino, he's going to be, he's going to be Al Pacino. He's going to be entertaining. He's going to be screaming at people. He's going to be calling people, you know, dickhead and cocksucker and, you know, stupid idiot and all that type of stuff. So uh, overall, you know, I, I was relatively entertained from it. So, you know, I'd, I'd give it a probably a, a B, B minus. The main, the first reason why I thought you, you would enjoy it, because, you know, you always bring up that supervisor yeah. that you had your issue with. And in this movie, Alec Baldwin plays a supervisor that comes in to give these guys this motivational speech because they're not hitting the numbers. And he comes in to just, you know, establish dominance, yeah. tell them that they're all fired if they don't go out there and make some sales. And, you know, he's he's really demeaning to the guys, but they all just take it and they eat it. Like what? What did, what did you think of that situation? I mean, I think it just shows you how off base these uh, corporations are, and everything is based on you know negative reinforcement. Like you come in, you're five minutes late. You know, we write you up. Like I was at a job one time, and they you know they made this guy take vacation time because his uh, grandmother died or whatever like that. So it's just what corporate America is and what it has become. But and I thought that was like the most pivotal part about the movie where. Uh, Al Pacino's character is yelling at the uh, 
Kevin Spacey character at the end, he's like, you know, your job is to help us, dickhead. Like, and that's what these supervisors don't understand. It's like they they hire these company men to push papers and to push buttons and just to be an order taker. And they've never been in the trenches of an entry level position, you know, being getting their hands dirty and having the actual experience to actually do the job in the right way. And then they'll send some cocks up here and they scream at you and say that you, you know, you take them too long in your lunch break or uh, you know, uh, whatever they say, it's like, you know, I'm your supervisor. So do what I told you in the computer, whatever dumb shit. So, um, you know, it's, it's, that's what corporate America has become. And that's what it is. The movie goes like a little bit deeper than that, because it shows, it shows like all the sides of it, how Kevin Spacey plays like the supervisor of the sales team. And he's responsible for holding on to the good leads because these guys are cold calling and they don't want to waste the good leads that the company paid for on these guys that can't even uh, close on the bad leads. So like he's holding on to these leads, like he's holding on to his nuts. Cause he says, <laughs> if I let these leads go, I'm going to get fired. And then the salesmen are saying, if you don't give us the leads, we're going to get fired. And then you have, Al Pacino's character, who's the most successful salesman out of this group, but he's also a mediocre guy because you think about the company that he's working at, like selling these bullshit properties to people. But he comes in and he's trying to, you know, um, deceive this this silly guy into buying this property. And Kevin Spacey kind of like puts the nail in the coffin of that deal not going through so he starts blaming kevin spacey but it's like no man you were selling bullshit to this guy and his wife realized it and said i'm going to the attorney general and like you know so it it kind of just shows like all of these guys like they're trapped in this dead-end company yeah. but Al Pacino's making the most commission so he thinks he's doing a little bit better even though He's not doing work that you can really be proud of. Kevin Spacey's managing these guys, but he's just trying not to get fired himself. So he's not proud of himself. Jack Lemon, who has, I think, the best performance in the movie, is great in the movie. Oh, definitely. Yeah. He's he's like showing a guy that's pushing towards he's out of his prime, pushing towards retirement. He can't afford to like lose this job and have to go find a new one. So he decides to rob the office and steal the leads <laughs> because he's that desperate because his sales tactics don't work anymore and his tricks don't work anymore. Like, like he's, he's like that. Um, they're ready to send him off to the glue factory. So he he's like in desperation mode. So I think the movie shows a good part. Like, you kind of see that when you go to corporate offices, like there's somebody in in each one of these spots. There's the guy that thinks he's smarter than everybody or and, and even worse, thinks he's smarter than he actually is. You got the pussy supervisor. You got a, a couple of mediocre house cat guys like, you know, Alan Arkin is in the movie like on his woe is me shit the whole time yeah. and then and then you got like you know the couple guys that are past their prime are always talking about oh yeah i used to be good and then you got the guy that blames everything on management that's ed harris it's like oh well what do they expect me to do like i, I can't get anything done with this shit and alec bone has it so it's like no you're kind of pussy that's why you don't get anything done <laughs> so i i think in in that aspect I found the movie really, really entertaining, really entertaining the whole time because 
it's well-rounded and it kind of shows off its politics in a way that you don't really get to see in movies. Yeah, but I think the biggest takeaway is that beyond that, I mean, these guys are decent sales guys. They aren't getting what they need to do their job. Like, it's like if you're supposed to do a certain thing, like, you know, I'll give you an example. When I was working at Home Depot, it's like I have to, you know, keep the floor clean, but I also have to service the customers in a specialist type of role. But I'm not a specialist. So it's like I got to be doing both jobs here. And like I'm not getting what I need to make sure the department is clean every day and making sure that my customers could get service. So you got to see that it's like they're giving these guys dead bullshit leads. So they don't even have an opportunity to see. It's like the dude Roma was even saying it's like, yeah, I'm just having a good month. And that's how sales is. It's like it's almost like being an athlete. Sometimes you fucking make the shot. Sometimes you don't. So at the end of the day, you're going to sell. Like he, like he said in the movie, it's like, yeah, you close this deal with people who aren't going to come through with the deal. Like they're nuts. They just like talking to salespeople. So like they're purposefully sabotaging these guys. Like they're not even giving them a chance to be successful. But I, I think that also shows that these guys aren't good at what they do. Right. Because Jack yeah. Lemon should be able, Shelly, his character Shelly, should be able to tell that these people are crazy. But he <laughs> sits there with them for hours. Then he comes into the office, puffing his chest out, strutting his stuff, like calling his boss a dickhead, talking about, look what I did today, motherfucker. <laughs> and then he ends up getting fired at the end because it's like, no, Shelly. Like, you were talking to crazy people, you're way past your prime, and you came in and robbed the office last night because you're in desperation mode. So, like, do I think, like, the corporation isn't doing their part, like, by, like, you know, beating, grinding these guys down and sometimes like, you know, the corporate demands that we have in society now, like, to grow, you see that on Wall Street, like, you know, companies that are profitable, but they're not profitable enough by Wall Street standards. So their stock price goes down in a lot of cases, especially in the last year. There were a lot of companies in 2022 that were profitable. Like if you look at their year end earnings, but their stock price looked like shit because, you know, that's it's all speculation. It's all bullshit. So that goes downhill and gets pushed down on these salesmen. So I don't think it's just the companies giving them bad leads. I think these guys, like Alec Baldwin says, there's some truth to it. They don't deserve the good leads because they're because the Jack Lemon character is he's clearly going through a script in his head when he's talking to his customers. He's yeah. not he doesn't respect his customers enough because he's trying to trick them. Because I did cold calling, you've done cold calling, like we even sold windows together where you have to learn the script on how to sell the windows. But you know, just like I know, if you go out there and you're trying to um, remember the script when you're talking to somebody, you could tell it's not authentic. Like, you know, the person's not going to buy anything from you. You have to be able to relate to somebody in sales and then they decide, it's like, all right, I'm willing to give this guy money because he's trustworthy. But when you hear a guy say, oh, yeah, I'm just in town for tonight. And, you know, uh, I'm talking to my secretary in the background because yeah. we're getting M's over here. It's like a it's like an Instagram guy, like they're snake oil salesmen. Like, oh, yeah, let me stand in front of a Lambo and tell you how successful I am. Like you if yeah, you're yeah. really smart, you don't have to stand in front of a Lambo. And those like, niggas make you, money, you just. 
That shit, that shit works. How many of those, like, they, they trick people. That shit works. What, the, the Lambo guy? Of course it does. How's the Lambo guy get the Lambo yeah, in the but first place? He, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but he's a snake oil salesman. And that's why most of the time, like, they, like their conversion rate for sales is really low. Well, remember the guy broke that down, though, because he was saying, like, that's how the company is telling them to sell. He was like, yeah, like when I was starting, what's the guy, Dave Moss character, whatever his name is. He's like, when I first started selling, I used to sell 15 cars to four people because he understand. And these guys, all these guys understand that it's about like relationship. But I think that's literally how the company is pushing these guys and how they're telling them to sell. I think it's more of a company uh, thing more than is these guys are just terrible salesmen. Yeah, but if you're in a job, mm -hmm. you know, you're the you control your performance. Of course. The company can tell you whatever they want, but you know the company ultimately wants the result. And you know your bank account also wants the same result that the company wants. So if the script that the company gave you doesn't work, find out something that does work. Like you're the worker. Don't go out there and try to be a shyster. And like, that's what all of these guys are trying to do. And it's if that's the case, that's when you gotta pivot. We talked about yeah. that a couple of weeks ago. Pivot before you got to rob the office for the lead, Shelly. <laughs> I, I can't relate. I just normally cuss out the supervisor and I just go to the next job and get screwed there. So, well, yeah, Shelly was cussing out the supervisor, but he wanted to walk around the office like puffing his chest out. He's like, You little spineless worm. Fuck you. <laughs> That's just, I love how these guys talk to each other. It's like, it's like You sucker of cocks, you sperm receptacle. Yeah, it's, it's 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 like very white man office talk. It's because like, I'm like, if you go any if you go anywhere else, like, that's fighting words. Like it's like, why are you talking to another grown ass man like that? But um, but yeah, I I, I think it's uh you know it's the type of movie that you don't get to see very often, and there's a lot of guys acting very well in the movie, and it originally was a play, so th that might be why you you thought it was a little boring with the, uh, the the screenplay part of it. But um, yeah, I, I just thought like, it's a movie that it rings true. 30 years ago to, to now, it's like nothing has changed in corporate politics. Like the nature of the products that people sell are different and the structure of people's jobs are a little bit different, but there, there's a Shelly going through it right now. And he's probably robbing the office. <laughs> like, he's, pro he's probably stealing some shit. That's what these corporations don't understand. Like that's the end result of you putting that type of pressure on people and you calling them pussy and pieces of shit and having that odd ball when guy come in and say that you suck and you're dumb you're gonna lose your job like when you put people under desperation mode and they're used to being immoral they're gonna fuck with you <laughs> like that's what's gonna happen i can't disagree with that i mean you do reap what you sell i, yeah, I like, think me maybe if you bring like a tony robbins guy in to like, you know, give everybody hugs and tell them that they can do it. You might get, you you know, somebody might not decide to rob the office, but, um, you know, it's it, the business world's cut through. It's, it's, it's cutthroat out there. So or how about just give the fucking guys what they need to be successful? Oh, we're not wasting the Glengarry Lee. <laughs> Would you get, all right, let, let's get to this. Would you give Shelly the good leads? Fuck no. But Shelly should just retire, like you said. Like, to me, like, I, I can't look at Shelly. I'm looking at Shelly like, dude, why are you still in this game? Like, what did you do in your life where you still have to sell 
at your age. Like, it's tough. You should be on. Even retirement age, he just looked it. Like, he was in his fucking 50s. Like, he wasn't that old. He just like, was a rundown guy. And well, look, if you it, make it, it's it's true. Like those guys didn't deserve the good leads. Like I would not give you don't you wouldn't trust Shelly with the good leads. He's gonna fuck it up. He he couldn't even tell that he was sitting there talking to crazy people. He's like, yeah, I put the pen on the line and I told him you sign. He's like, and I just looked at him, and it's like, yeah, you're fucking nuts. Like that's why that's why they they agreed to that shit. He's like, yeah, I sold eighty thousand. <laughs> They're like eighty thousand, Shelly, to these guys. Come on now. No, you you gotta give the guys what they need to put them in a position to, position to be successful. That's you're just gonna have a a workforce that's uh, gonna be below par if you don't. I mean, I don't I don't see how bringing a guy in there screaming at him, telling them they're pieces of shit, they're pussy, and that they're fired at the end of the month. Like, I don't see how that's supposed to work. But you know, that's just me, I guess. But you also said you wouldn't like who in that office would you give the good leads to? I think that guy Moss was a pretty good sales guy. I think he could have done something with those leads. Nah, because <laughs> Mo, like Moss was the biggest scheme out of all of them. He just like he like he tells the other guy he's like, "Yo, he's like, I need you to steal the leads, and if you get caught, I'm yeah. snitching." Like, like, what is he, that? Like, he tried to set up two. He tried to set up all those guys. I'm like, yo, that's wild. He, yeah, he set up two guys in the office. <laughs> like, I'm not giving him the good leads. Like, he, like, he's bad. Like, that whole office needed to get fired. They really need yeah. to shut the branch down. That's yeah. a terrible. That's a dying branch. Well, that goes to show you that's that's the corporation. That's probably the corporate culture. This is probably a scheme, Ponzi scheme type of corporate culture. Like that. That's that's all in the corporate. I blame corporate. All right, fine. You, you, we get it. You're a union guy. You goddamn right. Uh, you better, get, you better give my three and a half hours. I'm putting a grievance in. A grievance. Yeah, that was supervisor. Watch. You better watch your tone, supervisor. Oh, I know why you're your president. So, um, what, what what's the moral of the story this week, Steve? Moral of the story is grab your balls and find you a job where you fucking. Can fit in and you know work hard and do the job. Like you gotta have, you know, take that experience, man, and, and go do some other shit. You know, bet on yourself, maybe. Maybe you buy your own leads, you figure out your relationships, get some partnerships, you know. But at the end of the day, that would take guys who don't want to work a dead end job. So um That's what know. I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like, like I don't want to sell like the company guy, but I would not give yeah. any of these motherfuckers the leads. Like, like, like maybe Pacino, because like he seemed like you know he at least was getting up in the morning and wasn't starting his day with like bourbon. But sure. like the rest of those guys, well, he's getting drunk. Like, at the, he's getting like, drunk. Like, at the, one, the rest of those guys were one bad sales month away from like eating their pistol at night. Like, like you know. <laughs> Like they were on their way out. Like you really got to just shepherd those guys out the pasture. Like they need to be sweeping up somewhere. Like, you know, they need a data entry job. They don't need a job that requires like analysis. I guarantee you five years from that movie point, that company was shut down. It's a bullshit company with bullshit guys. But you've, you've been in sales environments. They hire anybody. They they just hire anybody. Like, oh, you got a post. Oh, come in and sell this shit. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I've, I've been in sales jobs, you know. Shout out to uh, the salesman that we work for that shall remain nameless. He like he was just in there having his way. Like he had the fire stick in there going crazy. Not <laughs> any of the sales numbers. He's like, oh yeah, like you know, I'll bust down the budget with y'all, but y'all got to keep it a buck with me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, see, that's the that's really the problem in these in these uh, companies. It's like everybody's just like looking out for themselves. It's like everybody's looking out for number one instead of you know, the team, which is really what you want. You you want a guy to to be there for the team. Wait, well, you but, see uh, the type of culture they try to you get a guy, what's the good Gary guy? He comes in there and calls everybody pussy. Like, like that's the culture that they establish. There is no team. It's like you are a bunch of pussies. And if you don't sell, you're fired. Like how you gonna have a team environment like that? I don't know. It worked for Michael Jordan. <laughs> it didn't really like or, or did he, he have six chips? Or did he have Phil Jackson coming in and be like, "All right, it's it's okay, Mike, just having a bad day." <laughs> like, <laughs> is that what happened? I don't know. I I didn't watch the last dance. Is that what happened? I I assume you just can't be talking to people like that. You be bringing the spirit did, did, did down. Phil come in and make everything okay. I, would, I don't I know. Would. Like when um, is that what he did with Kobe too? He just told him he t- he was telling Smush Parker it was okay. <laughs> Phil wasn't on that team. Phil was coaching that team. Oh, he filled in Coach Smush. No, I feel like Coach Smush. On that note, you know we're gonna we're gonna go back to the drawing board, and uh, we'll be back next week for all new episode of the Last Man Pod. And thanks for listening. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, listen on Spotify, YouTube, all that good shit. We'll be back next week, all new episode.